Oh, 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 oh. What's up? This is Gino, Gino Ray, host of Native As I Can Be, Between Two Cultures. And we are getting ready to kick off episode number four. Um, Very happy to have you on board, listening, wherever you may be, in your car, at your job, maybe soaking um, in a bathtub, or maybe you're on a flight across the United States. Could be any of those options, or none of them. But... If you hear my voice, that means you are listening, in fact. So here we are, episode four. Episode three was my chat with uh, Kenji Nida, the reverend, the Japanese reverend mixed martial artist. Um, Something, you know, it's funny when I jot down notes for what I'm going to talk about in a podcast. Uh... I, I kind of stick to those and I kind of stray from those. And one of the things I had jotted down about Kenji that I didn't mention um, uh, during the episode, uh, Kenji spoke at my son's funeral. And there was a couple reasons for that. Um, number one, because we were close. And, you know, we had spent hours doing mixed martial arts and him showing me all kinds of stuff he's a straight genius at it he's as good at he's as good as anybody i had ever trained with up until that point and when you train mixed martial arts with somebody um not every time but a lot of times you 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 create a bond with that person um it's like wrestling with your kids it's just like um it's just a way an unconventional way to get close to a person um and and me and him had that and and when we worked at the same place we you know i would i would slip into his office and take up some of his time just chatting just talking and um a lot of lunches you know mongolian barbecue and uh huge breakfast burritos and Food was always a big thing, and we'd make these trips to Fred Meyer and just splurge. And I remember Kenji always going for the double stuff Oreos. Uh, I hope I'm not putting them on blast, but so we had a closeness, you know. And the other the other reason for him speaking there is he's a reverend. Um, I I knew or suspected that you know he would be able to. Um, you know, succinctly put a cap on the event. You know, I knew he would be able to say something meaningful and and it would be about my son's death, but it would be about, you know, a bigger picture, a grander scheme. And he was the only one of my people, I think, to speak at my son's funeral. Um, I don't know. That was three years ago. I don't quite remember. Maybe I should, but so there was, you know, um, and we we are not now as close as we were, and I will 
I will shoulder the blame for that because um, one of my biggest regrets, if not the biggest regret I have in life is that. So for the first five years of my son being alive, I didn't drink. Well, I did right after he was born and things happened and I didn't for five years. And that fifth year, I just I started drinking again and I drank for the last two years of his life. Um, most of the time it didn't interfere with me having time with him or how I interacted with him and it did sometimes I didn't drink when he was around and I had said I wouldn't drink the night before he was around and I didn't stick to that you know always and some of those times his mom Fanya knew about and sometimes uh, she didn't so and if anybody knows me, drinking was a thing. So, part of so what I was getting at there is part of the reason me and Kenji didn't stay close is because once I started drinking again, there is a lot of shame that comes with drinking. At least the way I did. And I'm not saying the guy that has a a beer after work should have anything to be ashamed of, but the way I did it and, and the sneaking around and the isolating and all that, there was a lot of shame to it. And I didn't want to, I didn't want him to know because I respected him so much and he had only known me as a sober person. So I pulled back from him and from a lot of people while I was doing my thing. Then when my son passed away, uh, I was drinking like there was no tomorrow and most of the time hoping there was no tomorrow. Um, I, When my son was gone, I, I pretty much didn't want to be here anymore. Um, uh, and again, that's the same scenario. I was drinking so much that I didn't want him to know or many people to know, though most everybody knew. Um, so there was this some shame and even though he has a social work background and uh, being a pastor or a reverend or whatever it is, you know, he would have been an ideal person to talk to while I was going through the grieving process and the the loss. And uh, I didn't. I didn't talk to him. Um, I just, I disappeared. I disappeared on, well, I moved from Boise about a month after Bams passed away. And I uh, moved here to Portland where there's more family. And it was a good move for me, but I turned my back on Boise and, and all the people in it. And um, that's another thing I struggle with. But I look at where I'm at now, and I haven't drank in, I don't know, maybe two years or probably I think two years um coming up on it and having another having another kid and having an an 11 year old stepson who who means the world to me who I think is one of the best kids I've ever come across period and I would think that if I didn't have the relationship that I have with him and of course Laura who was with me through some of the really hard times um not all of them she kind of came in 
she came in at the end because she helped me get to the end. So I'll put it like that. But so I look at where I'm at now and I think it was one of this is one of the great comebacks because I was at death's door and uh, some days pissed off that death didn't, you know, answer when I was knocking. So that's um, that's kind of what I wanted to touch on with Kenji that uh, I, I missed that opportunity to talk about our relationship more. Um as it as it was back then um but it was good talking to him and it was pretty you know some of those you know there's people in your life that you can have gaps in the communication and when you reconnect um it's just like it always was um my old roommate in LA and my friend one of my best friends Kobe Kobe Tayatano um it's the same with me and him it's the it's the same with me and my friend alex vega and um my best friend shiva but we don't ever really stop communicating that's pretty much ongoing but you know there's just people in your life benjamin Hare, that i don't want to leave anybody out so i'm going to stop there but i think you guys know what i'm talking about there there's just always those people in your life that you can um you know the bond's always going to be there i think uh, at least for me. So, anyways, on to this week's episode. This week's episode, I'm th- I'm doing probably what I should have done in the first episode, which was um, just tell you a little bit about who I am. Um, and by the way, the reason I'm doing this, it's not um, it's not strategy or um it's not che- it's not looking at this in hindsight or anything so i've been working for the past couple weeks sending a, some emails and some texts and uh trying to get some people on board to be guests not just and and i'm and i'm reaching for people that i don't know and that i have never met or spoken to about being on a podcast and um and as well as people i know and I just uh, basically couldn't get anybody <laughs> this week, so I'm not. Th- I, I have people that are waiting to do it, but they basically couldn't do it today, which is the day I normally record. So, uh, yeah. So I'm gonna go back in time a little bit and let people know a little bit about who I am, and hopefully, uh, if I can, if I can um, present myself. Um, a little better or a little deeper hopefully that will push people that don't know who I am maybe once they have a better idea they will keep listening that's kind of the idea and um, I think if I share a little bit who I am it will um, the podcast and why I'm doing it and what it's about will hopefully make more sense so I'm not just some guy that picked a topic and said, I'm going to go do this. So yeah, this is a uh, this is who I am. I'm going to try and keep it short because um, I, I can't imagine listening to just my voice for very long is really going to um, 
snag a bunch of listeners. So keeping it short, I'm going to hit the main points and talk about um, just some of the stuff in life that's made me who I am now. And um, the next week I'll have a, a guest and or guests and uh, we'll get back on track. So, um, yes, uh, as I've said before many times, I'm Klamath Indian and white. Um, I have a ton of siblings, and I mean maybe a literal ton of siblings. On my mom's side, I have an older brother. I have two older sisters, and I have a little brother who was adopted. Um... We all have different dads, um, so we're all half siblings. And then, of course, my little brother with um, his mom is actually my first cousin. Um, but he, he was adopted when I think he was two, and he's just that's just he's he's our little brother. That's all there is to it. It's there's no second cousin about it. Um, and actually, my oldest sister and oldest brother, they are actually full siblings. They have the same dad and mom. So, um, yeah, so what? Are, four, four siblings on my mom's side. And then on my dad's side, there is my older sister, Leslie, who passed away. Uh... Let me think here. I think six, six other siblings besides her, um, who have different moms, same dad. So I got a lot of half siblings. You know, we're talking like eleven half siblings out there. Um, so maybe not quite a ton. Maybe three quarters of a ton of actual physical weight. Um. Didn't know my, didn't and don't know the siblings on my dad's side that well. Um, some of them I've never met, I'm pretty sure, I think. Um, some of them live right up in Astoria, not too far from here. And I've went up there once to kick it. You know, it's just, it's not close and it's unfortunate. And, but, you know, I mean, that's how, that's just how families are wired. You know, everybody's family's different and, you know, I lived with my mom and I lived with my sisters, you know, on, on that side and I'm close with them and, you know, we've all, they've been here, they've been there for me, especially, especially a lot, um, in ways that are, uh, you know, I owe a whole lot of where I am now to, uh, them. You know, and my mom too, to everybody, but they they have been there and saw me through some pretty tough times. And I don't know if I've done the same for them. Um But um uh, you know, I I hate using this phrase and it's played out, but it is what it is. So yeah, so I, I just didn't know I just don't know the my sister Leslie I would get to see. She's my older sister. She was um I would always get to see her when I would come see my dad on spring breaks and Christmas vacation, thing like that, things like that. And she was always super cool. She was very, um, 
warm and you know even though I didn't see her that often she was just very welcoming to me and she just seemed like you know she was I'm not exactly sure maybe 14 years older something like that just very cool and she seemed um just uh she just had a lot of charisma and she was physic you know beautiful and her funeral was standing room only i mean she just impacted a lot of people in positive ways and um just a really good person and and it's it's a shame what drugs will do to somebody uh cuz they took drugs uh they took a good one you know that day and then sadly enough the same thing happened to her son years later so you know just it's sad that what can happen and what drugs can do and uh but um yeah that's just another part of my um uh family history so and then I, you know, of course now I have Che and McCunny and Laura. That's my little squad here. And uh, we got a good squad. Good. Everybody's tight. And it's just good. I, I love where I'm at. And uh, it's a million miles away from where I thought I would ever be. But at some point I took a wrong turn or a right turn, depending on how you look at it, and ended up here. And I'm pretty happy with it. Um, so I grew up in Reed's Port, Oregon, which is a little logging community down on the coast, about 5,000 people. It's mostly white and, um, it was okay. I, I, I don't know. It it wasn't the worst place to grow up as a kid. It was pretty safe, but definitely kind of, uh, you know, flannel and gun rack country. And, and not that there's anything wrong with those things. Um, that's that's just what you saw a lot of and that wasn't really me it wasn't and and I didn't try too hard to squeeze into that mold I don't think um but it was fine you know and then we moved to Apache Junction Arizona which is a suburb of Phoenix and that was a very big change um I actually got to go someplace and see some color and uh and you're talking about right when we moved down there as soon afterwards I started driving so you know I went from a small town to if you and you know if you're talking about that whole area Phoenix Scottsdale Tempe you know um it's big you know it's a big big city and uh I went from a small town you know riding a bike everywhere to having a car and driving all over this huge city and uh you know I did what teenagers do and dabbled and a little weed and I think I did speed a couple times maybe and tried acid once and main thing was in junior high junior high you could have looked but not junior high junior year um or maybe it was sophomore year. I don't remember. But you probably could have looked at that moment and go and said this is kind of where this is this could be a turning point for me cuz I got into a very serious car accident driving home drunk off my ass 
by myself, thankfully. Um, dozed off, fell asleep, passed out, whatever, right into a tree or a telephone pole or something like that. And uh, had my nose kind of ripped partially off my face and I lacerated my spleen. Was in the ICU for a couple of days and ended up being in the hospital for I for eight I think eight or nine but uh you know pretty serious serious shit and some people could look at that and never touch alcohol again you know they would look at themselves and be like man I'm lucky to be alive what was I thinking I might have felt that way for a little bit but once I started healing and getting back out yeah that that all went away um and so i started drinking again you know soon afterwards and uh you know this is not something i'm proud of but uh you know that was not the last time i ever drove drunk either so there you go if there's if there's an indication of what kind of troubles I'm going to have in my life, I think you can look at that as a strong indicator. So uh, I graduated, um, joined the army right after I got out, went into basic training. It was a I think under a week after I graduated, I was flying out to St. Louis for uh, basic training. Did my training at Fort Leonard Wood. Finished that, went to Fort Gordon, Georgia, and then went to South Korea, where I spent the rest of the time. And I, I mean, South Korea, oh man, that's that's almost its own episode. <laughs> because uh, when you're someone like me, who has this uh, love of the drink, and you put me in a place that has a bar every five feet and you give me money to burn because you don't really have any bills. You know, I was in trouble. I I got in trouble literally my first weekend there because I decided, you know, you weren't supposed to go. I I just got in trouble. And I got in trouble the whole time I was there. And I got in trouble the whole time I was in basic. So basic i kind of threw my duffel bag at a drill sergeant the first day so what was i thinking joining the army with the (laughs) with my brain wired the way it is i don't know i don't know that i've ever been able to answer that question but i had a lot of fun i got to go to korea i was in japan for a very brief amount of time you know i got to go see some shit and meet people I'd, i'd never been around somebody from the south you know and when you hear somebody from the South go, you know, well, yeah, yeah man, I listen to DMX, Wu-Tang, um, you know, Tribe Called Quest. And I was like, what? Like, you're, I know you're messing with me, man. But I d- didn't realize at the time, like, the guy, that, the guy I was talking to was my age. He was 18. Like, he should have been listening to Wu-Tang and DMX and those guys. But it just sounded really funny coming from someone from the South. But... Anyways, so when I got out of the army, my mom had moved from Arizona to Idaho. So Idaho became my next stop. And I was there for 
uh, man, I don't know, three or four years, something like that. And the 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 first, I mean, the thing about that that trip to Idaho or that stay in Idaho is it kind of really is what got me to L.A. because um, that's where I met my friend Kobe. We used to work together that I talked about earlier or mentioned earlier. Excuse me. I just burped on the podcast. Um, and uh, he was making moves. He was going to go and be... And forgive me if I don't have the right terminology, but essentially an audio engineer was going to go to school down in Phoenix and then make his way over to L.A. And that's what he was going to do. And he did it. And he's got great stories about it, but he completely accomplished what he set out to accomplish, which I totally admire. And uh, the, the other significant part of Idaho, besides meeting some other good people like Alex Vega and uh David James um so i had a girlfriend and we had our problems me and her and we broke up every other night of the week uh she dumped me i should say every other night of the week if i'm being honest but and one day i just got tired of it and i called pop who was in portland at the time and i said pop i got to get out of here and he bought me a bus ticket and I grabbed some clothes and that was it. I was I went to Portland, took this long tour from Portland to L.A. to Phoenix to Vegas, back to L.A., back to Portland, and then finally settled in L.A. But that was all in a matter of a couple months. But there's another good pop story in there too, by the way. But So anyways, yes, Kobe was in L.A. and... You know, he was staying at a, at families and he wanted to, to get out. And so we went down there and um, I lived there with him for a couple years. And I met my friend Shiva, who's, who's one of my all-time best friends, you know, still is, even though we are geographically distant. Kobe's also one of my best friends. Same story, just uh, don't see each other every day, don't talk every day, but we're tight. And... uh but as I am uh, want to do, as they say, I was partying a little too hard, drinking too much, getting a little out of control. So I decided to head back up to Idaho with uh, my sister's help. And I was going to stay there with her with the idea really in my head that I was just going to kind of calm down, just chill out for a little while and then eventually go back to, to L.A. And that didn't happen because not that long after I was there... I met a woman named Fanya and we hit it off and she got impregnated by me. And that's where my first son Bams came into the picture. Um Bams was born with a uh, genetic syndrome. Um, called um, CHARGE. Which is a... <clears throat> which is an acronym and it stands for this. Coloboma of the eye. Heart defects. 
atresia of the nasal nasal choanae, retardation of growth development, genital um, urinary abnormalities, and ear abnormalities. Uh, abnormalities. So that was something that was not uncovered during the pregnancy uh, at any kind of doctor's appointments or anything. He just, it just became apparent something was off, you know, when he was born. So by the time he had, he had heart surgery immediately after he was born. He had numerous throat surgeries, a couple uh, hernia hernia operations. Um, he got a cochlear implant at one point in one ear. Um, he ended up total by the end with 13 different operations. And he was in the hospital a lot. And, uh, you know, he would do this thing. And I think... I guess you would call it a seizure. I'm not, I don't know. That's all I can think of it as. I don't know if we ever officially determined that's what it was, but he would just stop breathing, you know, and you would, he would, you would look over and he would be turning blue and he'd be biting on his tongue and just not be breathing. And his body would be tense and then it would just be limp. And it was the scariest goddamn thing, you know, to deal with. And it it happened. You didn't really, I I couldn't tell when it was going to happen. But it was just one of those things you had to expect to happen. Sometimes it would happen at night when we were asleep and something would jar you up and you would be trying to get him out of it. And it wasn't really like CPR. It was trying to sort of just snap him out of it. And so that would be you know, not shaking him, but kind of just jostling him, trying to get him to, to get out of it. And, you know, we always had oxygen tanks just at the ready. He slept with oxygen, you know, and yeah, I don't know, man. It was scary. And, uh, I think, uh, When he was seven, he passed away, right? And I think that one day, um, I think it was just too much. I think um, his body at that point had been through too much and... uh, it just couldn't sustain it anymore. And uh and he left, you know. Um The thing about here here's um <clears throat> here's how I think about BAMs though. I think that some stars that you see are shining so bright and so um, powerfully that they they uh, they can't maintain it and that was him because he was a star that lit up 
every room he was in. And he had... If you ever get a chance, listen to this song called Friendly, Friendly World. It's an old song. And uh, Bams did not see the world as a negative, scary place. Everything was great to him. And he laughed and he loved to cuddle and wrestle and be with his siblings and be with his mom and you know I used to take him just random I mean I could put him in a stroller and we would walk I mean literally all day Saturday and he would just roll he was just down like just wanted to go and um he you know he was funny and he had his own way of communicating because he was deaf and he didn't talk but you know he had a way of getting his point across and you know he was just um he was beautiful, man. And people lit up when they met him and when they saw him. And, you know, Pete, you know, I don't know if I'm, if this is politically correct or if I'm reading situations right or maybe it's just myself. But sometimes when people are afflicted with things, whether it be down or, you know, anything, you know, <clears throat> people act differently, I think. Or maybe they're even weirded out and they're uncomfortable and I think that's normal. Very few people had that reaction to him. Like, he just had this gleam in his eye, especially when he had his little half crooked smile and his little giggly little squeal. And he's walking, just looking like, just looking around, looking at everything like, you know, he's on like a permanent acid trip or something, man. And I think because of that, you know, he was able to um, put people's fears or, or, or uh, you know, uh, just being uncomfortable. He was able, I think, to um, kind of wash that away just purely on his personality. Um so and his mom I, I, I mean I could do a, a whole episode on her too because she her name is Fanya she was absolutely amazing and she gave me chances you know because I would screw up and she would you know she didn't just just lie there and let me roll over and run over and no, she was very firm and very fair, and um, she has three other kids who are every single one of them is into sports, and she's at every practice, every game, right there with Bams, cheering them on louder than everybody, dealing with the hardness of doing it by herself because we weren't together, we weren't we weren't dating or anything like that. <clears throat> she did it all, and. Uh, She's, you know, all respect to to everybody, but she was the one of the best best moms there is. And really any mom is the best mom, but she was I give her a ton of credit. So uh so like I was saying, when Bams when Bams died, I got I got out of Boise and I got here to Portland where I've got family sisters and 
my dad and my mom lived not not too far from Portland at the time. Uh, and this was a good move for me, but I was still drinking a lot, and um, that's all I really wanted to do. I was able to work because that's what us functioning alcoholics do. We're able to maintain a job and go about our business, but everything is about the drink. That's the goal. The whole reason you go to work is to get the check so you can drink after you get it. And that's all I did. And I drank, you know, like I was saying, I'm somebody that liked the drink a lot anyways. But dealing with the death of my son, that was really two things there. <clears throat> I was I was drinking to deal with the death and I was using the death as an excuse to drink more. You know, I came up with that. I'm like, hey, man, my, my, I can drink all the whiskey I want. My son just died. And then it was, uh, you know, it was a really bad time. And I, and I made it bad for people, too, that had to sit and watch me do that when I'm not really trying to get any help. You know, I'm not trying to get help from them, really. Aside from talking about him every once in a while, I, you know, I was content to just drink until I died and, uh, wasn't happening. So anyways, yeah, so, you know, obviously that's a pretty dark period of my life and, uh, you know, I snapped out of it, luckily, thanks to Laura and McCunny and, um, now, Che, in Laura's family and my family, I mean, there was way too there, Everybody helped me get through that. And uh, I think made me a better person for it. Um, so, um, anyways, so that's kind of the, that's kind of what brings us to this point where I'm at now which is living in Portland and with my little squad and uh, working right around the corner at a place called Outside Van. If you're ever in the market for a customized Mercedes Sprinter van, make sure you hit them up. Tell them, tell them G from receiving sent you. Um, but to get on to this podcast now and the reason I'm doing it, um, Throughout my life, I have dabbled in many things. Here, This is this kind of double-edged sword that I have where just about anything I've been interested in, I dabbled in. So Kobe and me recorded music. We did, we did hip-hop. I actually got to do some shows. You know, we actually had pretty decent stuff. I still write rhymes to this day. I just wrote one while I was sitting in my car two days ago, I think. Because um, I've loved hip-hop. I've always loved it. Um, but it's uh, never something I thought of as a career path. When I lived in L.A., I did some acting. I did a couple things. I did a... Um, the biggest thing was an Andrew Jackson documentary where I was a Choctaw warrior and I had a big fight scene and... Um, 
you know, I got a probably a good minute of screen time, but I made a lot of money for that. Um, I've done, okay, I'm calling it acting. It's pretty much extra work, but you know, I was on Portlandia. I was on the librarians. I was on a show called, uh, Stades, which didn't get picked up. Um, I auditioned for a TV show and, uh, that was in pre-production to play a kind of a henchman and they liked the audition so much that they gave me the part and then they were going to beef the role up. They were going to make it a bigger role because they liked what I did with it. And then funding fell out and, uh, they didn't end up making the show. So, um, yeah, so it's another thing. Acting, dabbled in it, done a little of it, went to acting school. Um, along those lines, have started to write screenplays. And uh, I used to make short films that I wish I still had copies of now because they were, um, well, they were okay. But I just liked being behind the camera directing. So... Uh, and to continue on with that, um, mixed martial arts, like I was talking about with Kenji, I had, I think, I, well, I had six amateur fights and then the one pro fight that I lost, you know, and I was doing okay. I was training a lot and I lost a lot of weight and, uh, you know, it was something I was interested in, but not really at making a career of it. It's just something I dabbled in because it looked fun. Same with wrestling pro wrestling um i never actually had a match but i did go to pro wrestling school for quite a few weekends in a row and was showing promise and then i just backed out so you know what the point i'm trying to make with this is that uh i don't think i'm afraid to try new things but i am sort of afraid to see them through uh, as far as they can go and the reasons are varied um, but I, I, they're not really reasons they're probably excuses that I came up with but um, oh uh, I forgot to write uh, mention the children's book that I wrote about Lucha Libre and it was a book that I, uh, it was all written in rhyme form and there was two parts there was the front part which this it tells the story of this one match, and there's a wrestler obsessed with gold, so he wants to beat the champion because the champion's got the big gold belt. And so the first half of the book is written from the bad guy's perspective, um, coming after the gold belt, and then you flip the book over, and it's written from the good guy's pers perspective, trying to protect and defend his his belt. And uh, I wrote it. I finished the whole thing. Like I said, all in rhyme. And I was pretty proud of it. And I read it to some coworkers, and it got a pretty good reaction. Um, so what happened was, is I emailed some literary agents and said, I got this book and this is what I want to do. And I'd like to see it illustrated. Here's a sample. I, I emailed probably 10. Never heard anything back the pro wrestling school there was a guy at the school i didn't like so i quit um 
acting i never really sunk my teeth into that deeply you know so all these stuff i've tried i've never never really finished any of them and the documentary was the next one and i got very far into this documentary i wrote a whole synopsis and i emailed people at pbs and they i got a response from them and i emailed another native filmmaker in the area in portland here and kind of talked to him a little bit about it and communication fell off there and actually emailed the guy that had cast me in the show um, about it and he was interested but see all this stuff kind of just never happened and so I just shelved it and it's kind of like that's what I do you know at the first sign of any kind of rough patch I kind of just bail on it and um the documentary uh, was sort of the latest example of that. And the podcast idea came about and I said, I could see that through because then I'm not worried about a producer or a literary agent or uh, money, whatever. I This is something I can just do myself and I just have to worry about the guests which you know is interesting about this week having not been able to get guests in time <laughs> and i almost said well i guess i'm not doing one this week and then i said no just do one just put one out that doesn't have to stop you so the podcast is the most motivated i've been to see something through since the documentary my latest sort of incarnation of the docu- of the of the documentary or docu-series, as it were. I guess that's what it ended up becoming. But um, but yeah, I was really kind of bumming out this afternoon. Like, man. And so I just kind of said, no, I'm not doing it this time. So that's why you're listening to me talk about myself this week. And not somebody interesting. So... Um, that's kind of where we're at right now. I mean, um, the, the this document, uh, this podcast so far has been getting good responses, and the plays, the number of plays, is I think at a hundred forty or something, maybe one thirty for the three episodes, which is you know. Not going to make me a millionaire, but that means people are listening to it. And that's more people than I think I've told about it or that like my Facebook page. So somebody somebody out there, has, some people have been listening, and that's what I'm, I'm happy about. And, you know, because I, you know, I mean, if you put out something, if you are creating content for the Internet, you know, your people are going to watch it because your people are supporting you. And um, at least you hope anyway. But I think it's the bigger audience you want to reach, the people that don't know you. If you can win over the people that don't know you, then I think you have something, um, you know, to work off of. So um, I think... Um, I'm happy with the number of plays. I'm happy with the fact that, you know, there's people at work that I don't 
talk to a whole lot and it's nothing against them. It's kind of just how I am at work. Um, a jerk, you know, cold, I've been told uh, and agree with. Um, but having people that, you know, I haven't spent a ton of time talking to or interacting with coming up saying they've listened to all the episodes, all three episodes. When's the next one coming out? Like, that shit is so cool to me. And that that also keeps me excited that that people want to hear it and they want to hear the next one. And that I, uh, you know, that that kind of says maybe you are on the right track. And don't get discouraged because the people you emailed didn't write back. You know, find somebody else to email. Go a different route. Like, that's where I'm at with that. And I used to think that, uh, and I still do to agree, I used to think my ideas didn't get made because I didn't know the right people. And if I just knew the right people, then somebody could connect the dots for me. And and I still agree with that to an extent. But I, I think that... Um, I wanted people to connect the dots and I put the dots way too far apart, <laughs> you know, so I'm I'm willing to do a little more of this myself, connect the dots, put the dots closer together, together, get a, get a better picture, uh, and number the dots, you know, since I'm on a connect the dots analogy, um, and just make it so, you know, if someone does come along that can help, I'm not relying on them for everything. That I can do some of this myself. So, anyway, that is where I am at with the podcast. That is who I am. Um, and that's um, that's the gist of it. And there's still a lot I want to do. And... Uh, you know some of the ideas i had for the for the for uh when this was going to be a tv show there's a these are things i still want to talk about and i still think i can find people to talk about with and there's a there's a tribe in colorado called the utes that's worth over a billion dollars because of their uh, i think natural gas and coal uh resources and then of course not too far away from there is the pine ridge Pine Ridge Reservation, which is one of the poorest counties in the whole country. And, of course, that's where um, everything that happened with Leonard Peltier went down. And Leonard Peltier is a whole episode to itself also. But uh, the gist of his story is uh, he was uh, arrested and convicted on murdering two FBI agents. And there seems to be a lot of uh evidence pointing to the fact that it wasn't him and uh there's a lot of people out there that believe he is falsely imprisoned and is probably going to die in prison because uh he's being made an example of but again that's a whole nother episode um and uh i'm i'm pretty passionate about that one too but I know he's got a nephew that lives around here somewhere. So, But anyways, uh, of course, I wanted to talk about uh, the mascot issue, the Redskins, the Indians, the Braves. Um, and are, is, are those disrespectful or should we just uh, be looking past that and that they're just teams? I don't know. That one I'm a little conflicted on. 
And then the Meskwaki tribe was uh, the tribe opposing the Dakota Access Pipeline. They were involved with the protests and all that. I wanted to talk about that. Uh, And then um, the casino, the tribal gaming thing and how our... uh, our current president, Donald Trump, was big time against tribal gaming up in New Jersey area because he was trying to do his own casino at the time. And he did a lot to try and prevent the tribe from operating operating a casino up there. Um, my tribe has a casino. There's a casino not too far from here called Island A. That's the Cowlitz tribe. Um, I want to talk about that. Um and I want to talk about uh, the things in the native tribe, the native uh, tribes that you don't always hear about. Not that you hear about a lot of this other stuff, but across the board, uh, teen suicide and violence against children and women and diabetes and substance abuse, um, missing indigenous women. Across the board, those things are higher in native communities and on reservations and you know why the hell is that um and is that because is this is this are these things you can trace back all the way back to the early treaties and people coming over from Ireland and Europe and you know does this go all the way back is this like an ongoing process that is just uh you know eliminating us uh so uh that one that one is pretty serious and I hope I can get somebody really knowledgeable for that episode cuz there's a lot going on there. So um there we go. There's a little a little overview of who I am and what this podcast about is about and why I want to do it and uh I want to thank you for listening. If you've listened to all 3 or if you've listened to some or I don't care. I appreciate everybody listening and being supportive and uh, continuing to inspire me to uh, keep moving forward Um, because I am very excited about this project and um, I'm I'm finding the motivation to keep going. So um, thank you very much. Sorry for being the only one on this week, but uh, I think next week you will find some very... Uh, interesting, stimulating conversation about uh, a subject to be determined. So thank you for listening. Have a good night. I'll talk to you later.